Hi, my name is Robert McMahon. I'm the Connection Director here at Covenant Church, and I'm thrilled that you're listening. If you're checking us out for the first time, welcome. We're so glad that you're here, and I'd like to take this chance to invite you to let us know that you're tuning in today. We'd love nothing more than to help you start building meaningful relationships and to join you on the journey of faith. Just go to bgcovenant.org connect and let us know how we can be in touch. With that said, let's dive in and listen together to this week's message. So this morning's message, uh, we got a new sermon series, Divided, United. Uh, to cipher, I am transitioning here, to cipher, um, <laughs> I know, make it obvious here, right? Uh, to cipher, it was a curse. The curse was knowledge. The curse was knowledge. Uh, sometimes ignorance can be bliss, correct? Sometimes to go your way and to continue to live in that way and to not to know that there's another path can be a blessed thing because you can just continue to do the thing that's in front of you and just do the thing. But if you know that there's an alternative, then there's a choice. And Cypher had a choice. Now, if you're familiar with the movie The Matrix, which I know it's a little old, um, it's a fantastic movie, uh, but in the movie The Matrix, basically the robots take over, okay? Our worst nightmares have come true, the robots take over, and now we're all brains in a vat. Literally, we are... uh, being used for their batteries. For that. If you want to watch the movie and get it, you can watch the movie and get it. But anyways, we as human beings no longer get to live a free life. We are subjected to the machines. And the machines, in order to keep us appeased, they fill our minds with dreams. This is a sci-fi movie, okay? So track with me here. So they fill our minds with these fantasies, these dreams, and it feels like reality. The dr- you know, have you ever had a dream that's so real? You're like, oh, like you wake up and you're like, that was so real. Like this past week I had a dream where I literally I felt like a tick crawled into my ear and I'm like, I woke up and I'm like, there's a tick in my ear, Allie. And she's like, no, there's, that's impossible. There's no ticks in our house. Um, but anyways, it's so real, right? And so they're living in this fantasy, this dream world that they think is reality. But then along comes the, uh, what is it called? Uh, uh, the resistance. Along comes the resistance with, led by Morpheus and Zion and, you know, Cypher is given a choice of, hey, Everything that you know to be true is not true. There's actually a real reality where you can live in your flesh and blood. And we don't know how that story goes, not in the movie, but he made a choice, right? He made a choice to leave from under the mastery, under the lordship of the machines, of the robots, to live free as a part of Zion. However, freedom has a cost. Freedom isn't necessarily all that it's cracked up to be, right? Living in reality can be challenging, There's hardship, there's suffering, and there's certain enjoyment, certain pleasures that we no longer have access to. And this is what Cypher felt. I know life under the robots. I know life under the resistance. And I don't know if I want to continue to live in this reality. I think I like what I had before. In the iconic scene right here, where he puts a stake to his mouth, he literally is saying, I know that the stake isn't real. I know that my brain is being told that the stake is real and that as I put it to my mouth, the deliciousness that I taste is just kind of being, you know, told to my brain neurologically, and yet, and yet, I want this. I want this more than I want real freedom, is what he goes on to say. And he says, infamously, man, ignorance is bliss. You see, Cypher had a choice between the machines and the resistance, and he knew that there's two lords. And that's what we're talking about this morning, lordship and loyalties, lordship and loyalties. In this uh, sermon series, Divided United, we're going to take a look at the first chapter of the book of Corinth, the 
first book of Corinth was a letter Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. Paul had come to the city of Corinth. He had planted a church. And out of these band of, you know, rebels who left all that they knew as Roman citizens, all that they knew as followers of Rome and pagan worshipers, they came to worship Jesus Christ as their Lord. And what the problem with knowledge is that you know that there's the other, right? That the Corinthians knew what life was like under Roman law and Roman rule, and they also knew life under the lordship of Jesus, and they were struggling because life under the lordship of Jesus, while he gives us all, doesn't mean that it's not without suffering. Doesn't mean that you have to go, that you, can't, that you go through life without. There are certain things that you miss out on on the previous life. A little bit of history of the Corinthians. Uh, the city of Corinth was kind of positioned right in the middle between uh, west and east Rome. Uh, so, and uh, it was right situated along uh, the Mediterranean Sea. So it was a harbor town. Uh, so in a great pass-through connecting east to west. So lots of harbor traffic came in and out of the city of Corinth. And just to the north of the city of Corinth was a major travel highway, too, of trade. And so the city of Corinth had access to everything that Rome had to offer. Every luxury, every good, the marketplace was available to them. They could fill their lives with any pleasure that Rome had to offer. Conveniently, the goddess that they worshipped was Aphrodite. She was situated about a thousand feet above them on a hilltop, and that was where her temple was. And as long as they worshipped her, as long as they were in right relationship with her, she gave them permission to fill their life with every pleasure that their body wanted, that their mind wanted, that their heart wanted. And there was permission there, and there was all that Rome and all that this goddess had to offer them in this life. And so now we have a church who abandoned that reality, came to Jesus, and now has to live with that struggle between, I was a citizen of Rome, and I had access to all of these things, and every morning when I wake up, it's all over. It's, I sur- every pleasure surrounds me, and yet I've committed myself to following Jesus. And so what Paul's going to do, and we're going to pick up the very first nine verses here, what Paul's going to do is he's going to set the stage, and then as we get into this month, Pastor Kyle's got the next weeks, talking about how it is, when we don't understand our lordship, how our identity is divided, and the way that we live towards one another, and the way that we live in relationship with God. So, all right, so pick up with me here in verse one. From Paul, called by God's will to be an apostle of Jesus Christ, and from Sosthenes, our brother, to God's church, that is in Corinth, to those who have been made holy to God in Christ Jesus, who are called to be God's people, together with all of those who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in every way, he's their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always for you because of God's grace that was given to you in Christ Jesus. That is, you were made rich through him in everything, in all of your communication, in every kind of knowledge, in the same way that the testimony about Christ was confirmed with you. The result is that you aren't missing any spiritual gift while you wait for our Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. He will also confirm your testimony about Christ until the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
God is faithful, and you are called by him to partnership with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. All right, so as we're reading this, as you're listening, it probably sounds pretty standard, pretty straightforward. And what Paul is kind of doing here, before he gets into the rest of the letter, and if you're familiar with Corinthians, he's going to actually address the issues. Okay, he's going to get to the issues. We've got that in the weeks to come. But before he gets into the rebuke, before he gets into the issues, he's got to set the stage. Because we know it's not necessarily what is said, it's how it's said. It's not what is said, it's how it's said. Any parent knows this, right? Before you rebuke your kid, you try to have them hear it in the right light. So before I tell you where you're wrong and discipline you and go down that path, let let me remind you that mom and dad love you, that we have your best interests in mind, we only want good things for you, this is all part of growth and development. I have middle schoolers, so we've had lots of these types of conversations And what you're trying to do as a parent is you're not just trying to like, you know, if you just come with a critique, it just sounds like you're just, you know, that you just love punishment. My kids will say this, Dad, you just love punishing us, don't you? Yes, I sit around in my free time thinking about creative punishments for you because I get some, I drive some sort of joy out of making your life miserable. No, like a true parent is like, listen, we're going to go down this path. There's going to be some rebuke. There's going to be some correction. But let me set this, uh, let me set the scene here, I care about you, we care about you, we have your best interests in mind. And so before Paul gets that, he's trying to set the stage for the Corinthians. He's trying to remind them that more than what they do, it's who they are. Something is true about who they are, and this is the most true thing about them. So what does he say? Well, when you write an email, right, you know, let's all admit it, when you write an email and you send an email, you know the recipient isn't reading every word on that email, right? We're all admitting that. You send me an email, I'm probably not reading your email word for word. And so what do you do when you want to get my attention? You bold, highlight, underline, emoji face, write it in some sort of different font, text, color, whatever it is, if you want me to see something in your email. You're like, this line is the most important thing for you to see in my email, and we find some way to draw our attention to that, correct? Well, what do we do? So back in the ancient days, they didn't have the printing press. It's not like this letter was like printed and then just kind of distributed amongst the whole church, someone got up and someone read the letter. And instead of saying bold highlight here, Paul says words over and over and over again. He repeats himself so that as a listener, you are picking up what he's throwing down, right? And as we read this introduction, there's certain words that are repeated over and over and over again. One of those words is you. You. Eight times in the course of seven verses, he says you. And if you keep on reading actually through the next section of 1 Corinthians, it, uh, it jumps like 18 times in 15 verses. You, 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 you. But it's not like you. And it's not like you. It's y'all. It is the plural you. You know, we just have one you, but this is like the actual plural form of the noun or the verb based on the construct here in the text. Every single you, though, is y'all. All right, so we're going to go back to Kentucky, down south, right? And what Paul is saying is, I give thanks to my God always for y'all because by the grace of God that was given y'all in Christ Jesus. He's not addressing an individual. He's not trying to point out one bad apple. He's saying, the church, every single one of you is a part of this. You have been brought into the y'all, okay? And this is part of our identity, Our lordship isn't just 
us as individuals, that we are brought into a community. The second word that is repeated over and over and over again, even more, is Jesus Christ and God. Apparently, he's the big deal in this portion of the letter. 16 times we hear Jesus Christ and God referenced. 16 times, twice as many uh, as y'all. It's about Jesus. And there's two titles that God has given, Father once, Lord six times. And so Paul is trying to say something very specific to them about who they are. You're in a community, and this community is under the lordship of Jesus Christ. This is about mastery. This is about who is in charge and who are we getting our marching orders from. Now, like every good Western American, we're like, yes, Nick, that was back in the olden days where they, you know, the feudal system, emperors, monarchies, tyranny, we're way beyond that. We're democracy. You know, we've untethered ourselves from the shackles of lords and masters in our life. But really, what I appreciate about the Corinthians is at least they were honest about who they served. At least they woke up and they knew that they served the emperor and they served Aphrodite. They were honest about it. Cypher was honest about it. He knew I either serve the resistance or I serve the machines. But I'm not an independent agent. We are not independent agents. Let me just give you some examples of lords in our lives. This lord told me that I visited her 7% less this week than I normally visit. So she must need more attention. You know, you don't have to live in LA, you don't have to live in New York, you don't have to live in Miami to have the luxuries and the pleasures of the world. We don't have to live in Corinth along a major travel route or a harbor town in order to have all that the world has to appease us and to fill us. Amazon has a marketplace, there's sports betting and gambling, any sort of fantasy, whatever I can get into, I can get into that stuff. This is our access to all the pleasures that our world has to offer. And when you're uncomfortably standing in the bank line waiting for the teller and you feel awkward just standing there, she will entertain you. <laughs> I'm being sarcastic, but it's true. We have lordship. We, we are naive if we think we don't have lords in our life. We are just naive if we think we don't have lords. We all have a lord. We all serve someone or something. One thing that we serve is me. It's in the iPhone. We serve I. We serve me. We serve self. You are encouraged by our culture when you wake up every day 24-7 to serve yourself, to live for you. I described a couple of titles uh, from Amazon. These are some of the most popular, best-selling books on Amazon. Let's read the titles. You owe you. I can get behind that. When I wake up, I owe me. I, I deserve it. I've earned it. I'm a human being. This is my right to entitlement in my life. Absolutely. Self-care, impact. Kevin Hart will tell you how to defeat the monsters in your life, the power of now, living for this moment right now, think and grow rich. The mountain is, you. if you just hurdle yourself, if you can just kind of get over yourself, then life is your oyster, right? And how about something spiritual, the untethered soul? That's our spiritual, that's our spiritual knowledge. Untether your soul, unshackle yourself from anything that binds you, and you'll know true freedom. 
And we just live in this. It's just all around us. Let me tell you about a book that has never been a bestseller, probably will never be a bestseller. In fact, it's out of circulation. It's this title. Your life is not your own. My life is not my own. I've actually read this before. It's by Bill Bright. This is a devotional that goes to the scriptures where it tells you in the scriptures that your life doesn't belong to you. That when you came into faith with Jesus Christ, for those of us who followed, who said, Jesus, you are my what? Lord and Savior, your life is no longer your own. And this is about Bill Bright sharing how he found freedom in letting go of making life about himself. Your life is not your own. This is what Paul is saying to them. Your life is not your own. You have a new master. You gave up serving at the temple goddesses. You gave up loyalty to Rome in order to find loyalty to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, how did this happen? Paul does share some things about how this happened. Number one, they were persuaded. They were persuaded by the good news of Jesus Christ. He says, hey, even as a testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, meaning Paul says, and you can read it actually in chapter two of this, he says, hey, when we came, we didn't come with big banners, anything super new. We came with a straightforward, simple message. This is the Lord Jesus Christ. He has a new life for you. And the Corinthians were persuaded by that. We don't know exactly how, but there's something about their intellectual self, their experiential self that was confirmed that Jesus is who he said that he was. And the message was simple and straightforward. And they were won over. God prevailed. His message prevailed above the wisdom of the world. When they matched up the wisdom of Rome and the wisdom of Aphrodite, and they compared that to the wisdom of God, which Paul says to the Romans is foolishness, they were persuaded to follow God, and then God prevailed. What did God do? He formed them into what? His church. God's church. And he says, y'all are part of a bigger y'all, all the saints, and all of the saints around the world call on one name, the Lord. The Lord who is both theirs and ours, Paul says, So God won them over. He wooed them. He prevailed over them. Again, not as Alexander the Great and just coming in and, you know, just kind of sweeping, conquering, just kind of knocking people down, but he came with a simple message and invited them to a different reality, to a different life, and they said yes. And lastly, their hope, their hope was in that this message would preserve them. It says that God has fit the church with everything that she needs, until Jesus comes again. And at that time, it is who? Jesus, that will present the church blameless before God. So the Corinthians, before they get into the mess, and the smudges and the marks and the division, he reminds them that it's not them who will make themselves blameless. It's not them who will fix themselves. Jesus is the one who will take it upon his own shoulders to present the church blameless to God on that day when he returns. And this is what they were won over. This is the baseline message he's trying to remind them. Cypher, as he sat there with a stake in his mouth, needed someone to come along and remind him of the original choice. You wanted something different than captivity. You wanted something, than, something else other than simple pleasures. You wanted freedom. And Paul is saying, let me remind you that you wanted freedom when you came to Jesus. So I think this text actually, normally when I preach, I have big ideas. I think this text has big questions. The big questions are these. Who is your Lord and where is your loyalty? This text is asking you 
to ask yourself, who is your Lord? Who has mastery over your life? Whom do you serve? Where is your loyalty? When you have all that is yours, your time, your energy, your effort, your finances, are those things under God's lordship or are they under the lordship of something or someone else? Where's your affections? Are your affections for God and his people or are your affections for someone other? So I want to, by way of application, share two different families with you. And it's kind of cool because, again, while Lord is the main title, there is Father, right? Our Lord isn't just a Lord. He's a Lord and a Father, one who cares for us. And so I want to share a story about two different families. The first family, this is their property. They live in Northwest Ohio, okay? I'm not going to say the family name just in case someone might know them, but this is their property, right? Mom and Dad bought this really large area, almost like an estate, with this giant pond. That is a huge pond. You can, like, you know, drive boats and, you know, ski-doos around it. And what the parents did is that they allotted their four children different pieces, a certain amount of acreage on this land to build, as you can see, really big houses. And so all the kids brought their families and built really big houses on this property. And as mom and dad, this is great, right? That mom and dad had a vision of having their family around here and enjoying this giant pond and having, you know, family meals together and walking out on their own beaches and being able to be in each other's space and property, yet having their own, setting up life together, right? A mom and dad have a vision of what this, like, looks like, right? Well, mom and dad passed away over the past year, and since then, within six months, every single child sold off their property and moved out because once mom and dad were gone, they couldn't stand each other. No joke. They've got everything that they could ever have. And once mom and dad were out of sight and out of mind, all they saw was the division. All they saw was what was their property and what made them comfortable, what made them feel good, rather than the fact that mom and dad brought them into the family and brought them onto this property to share life together. And they abandoned the riches of it because all they saw was themselves. What Paul is saying is you are tempted to abandon the riches of Christ when all you see is yourself. Let me share you un- with you another family. Now, I'll say the one in the middle there, she's really, she's really pretty. That's my sister. Uh, and that's, <laughs> that's my brother-in-law, David. Uh, she obviously married someone opposite of me, a guy who can grow facial hair <clears throat> and play music. Anyway, Sarah and David, they've adopted all six of those kids. So even the white one isn't theirs biologically. But he's there th- theirs through adoption, along with the other five. All six of these kids were adopted by my sister, my brother-in-law. They're from three different homes and three different families. And what my sister and my brother-in-law did as they brought these kids into their life is that out of, out of diversity, they brought unity under their parental headship. And they invited them into life, no longer being orphans and estranged, no longer under the care of nobody, but under their care. And what's really beautiful, and if you know anything about Uh, foster kids and adoptive kids, attachment is a big hurdle. It's a big issue. It's not simply solved. But having these orphans become attached to the family is is a miracle. Well, one of my nephews has been having struggles, as all of us have struggles, but he has unique struggles being an adopted kid. And he's been going to counselors for over a year. And there was this time where, you know, my sister and my brother-in-law had kind of a... uh, powwow with uh, the counselor. And the counselor just said, let me put your mind at ease in this way. 
I know he's got a lot of issues with working through these things. Let me put your mind at, uh, at ease in this way. You are his parents, and he sees you that way. And his place of belonging in his heart is in this family. And while they all look different, his siblings, they are his siblings. In his heart, they are mom and dad. And in his heart, they are his brothers and sisters. And even though there's issues, that stake is in the ground. And this is what Jesus has invited you to do. Not to come into the church and make this about you. Not to come into this church as a detached individual entity, kind of picking and choosing your religion, your spiritual experience. Jesus brought you in under his care, under his lordship, because he's good and he wants your freedom and he brought you to be affectionately attached to his family and to himself. And when we walk around as a bunch of I's and me's, when we really are part of the we of the church, then we're gonna really struggle with division. God wants us to be united under his lordship. So I end with these questions. Who is your Lord and where is your loyalty? Let us pray. Father, it is, uh, it's a challenge for even me to approach you, God, and not confess that I've struggled with seeing so much of me in the midst of this family that you've brought me into. God, I forget. I forget that you won me over, that there was that time in my life when I saw the riches of the world and I said, that doesn't bring life and I want what you are offering. But God, as the years go on, God, as I am saturated, as we are saturated with the wisdom of this world and the pleasures of this world, it is easy to forget what we said yes to and the thing that you've invited us into. So God, as we stand in worship, as we approach your table this morning in communion, will we be reminded that we don't share a meal as individuals, that we share a meal as a part of your family, that you are the good father who has brought us in, that you are a good Lord whose burden is easy, whose yoke is light, and who wants our real thriving and our real life. God, take our eyes off of ourself and what we think is ours, God, and put them on the beautiful diversity within the church, united under your lordship. Amen. Hi again. Just a reminder to let us know that you're listening by heading over to bgcovenant.org connect. If you're ready to be known, we'd love to know you. And we hope you'll join us soon for our live Sunday service at 9.30, 11 a.m. or 11 a.m. online. Thanks for listening.